Hi, I'm Jordan. And I'm Kit. Welcome to Starry Time, where stars plus lines equal stories. Today we're going to be continuing our exploration of the constellation Cepheus, with a focus on the history and myths of this constellation. The constellation Cepheus represents the king of Ethiopia and husband of Cassiopeia, making this constellation a very Greco-Roman invention. Unsurprisingly, other ancient cultures attributed the stars that the IAU classifies as Cepheus to much different constellations and myths. For example, in traditional Chinese astronomy, these stars were part of the purple forbidden enclosure, as well as the black tortoise of the north. Yeah, I recently read a, uh, a book titled An Autobiography of the Milky Way by Dr. Moya McTeer. It's awesome. I very, very strongly recommend it. And um, in that book, I actually learned a little bit more about how traditional Chinese astronomy divided the sky. So I learned that the purple forbidden enclosure is one of three regions in the northern sky, while the black tortoise of the north is one of the four areas describing the area around the ecliptic. And so these areas, they had other asterisms and constellations within them, correct? Like, Yeah, exactly. With the, with the example of Cepheus, right, the stars in Cepheus that are in this constellation, the boundaries drawn by the IAU, they span multiple areas of traditional Chinese astronomy. And they weren't aligned with any of the constellations that or the asterisms that existed in Chinese astronomy. So in other words, Cepheus, as the IAU defines it, is pretty radically different and doesn't really fit in neatly or mm -hmm. line up with one constellation or asterism from Chinese astronomy particularly well. Yeah, and it's sort of the same story um, when we look to ancient Babylonian star lore. So ancient Babylonian star lore, Cephas and Cygnus, which was the swan, are uh, were sort of like parts of it were combined to create the constellation, the panther. I really got to give credit to the ancient Babylonians of Panther Constellation. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though, because in this case, apparently, a panther was a storm demon. Obviously. Right. And a storm demon appears to be some kind of like griffin type of creature with mm -hmm. the like head of a lion or a leopard. I'm not sure why not a panther. And, and too the, easy. Too and easy. The, too obvious. And yeah. then the back feet and wings or tails of an eagle so in gavin white's babylonian star lore book which i definitely talk about a lot um white argues that this particular storm demon the panther constellation was uh, a creature of the underworld god nurgle and or nurgal i'm not sure um and so this panther constellation or the storm demon was a symbol of death and destruction oh. uh white makes this argument that this constellation is also really close to the Milky Way. And so maybe there and there's this sort of connection between the Milky Way and ancient Babylonian star lore and the entrance to the underworld and the movement mm. of souls. And so it might be possible that this panther storm demon was sort of a precursor to our, our favorite three headed dog that we were just talking about. Cerberus. Yeah. And I do like the idea of this being this panther <laughs> being a protector of the portal to the underworld. Mm -hmm. Overall, though, it seems like Cepheus is, as you said, only tangentially connected to this Chinese star lore or the Babylonian star lore. So let's backtrack a little bit 
into the story of Cepheus, who, as we remember from our last Myths and Retcon episode, is the husband of Cassiopeia and the father of Andromeda, who will be the topic of next month's Constellation. So the two long didn't read slash listen to our Cassiopeia Myths and Retcon is basically that Cassiopeia was a queen. She was vain. She bragged about how pretty she was. And then she and her entire family and or city were punished by Poseidon for daring to be, you know, proud of her looks. Yeah, so I guess that's the sort of long story short. And I guess that sort of begs this question of like, do we have anything more to say about Cepheus? I mean, Cepheus, I've heard him referred to as the sellout. Yeah, there's not a lot about his character description and his role in this story, other than he sold out his wife and his daughter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Root, everything that I've read about him seems to depict him as a fool. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the uh, long and short of it. So I don't, I don't think we have a ton to offer there. I mean, we have a lot more to say when we get into Andromeda, the daughter, mm-hmm. next month. But as for Cepheus, other than the fact that he's foolish and cowardly and a sellout and betrays his family, um, there isn't there isn't much there. Yeah, I do kind of like the idea that he he just like doesn't have main character energy. Like like he just doesn't have it. Um, he's just along for the story for like no real reason. But it, it definitely makes it a little hard to do a podcast about the myth well i will say that cpius's lack of main character energy does feature and function in my ret constellation oh, when we get to that segment great yes i've taken that into account surely but being the expert podcasters and problem solvers we are we have found something interesting to talk about this week and it's adjacent to cpius at the very least which is that cpius king of ethiopia is said to be a descendant of Zeus and Io. Which functions and segues perfectly into, oh gosh, breaking down that disturbing myth, uh, the myth of Zeus and Io. Do you want to break it down for us? Listeners, you may be familiar with this story as it is a classic Zeus being Zeus, Hera being Hera kind of myth. Our favorite kind of myth. I mean, it's definitely, it's a genre with many chapters in Greek mythology, (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure. But in this myth, we have the beautiful princess Io of Argos, who is perhaps a nymph of some kind. We know that she is the first priestess of Hera's temple. And because Zeus is Zeus, he takes an interest in Io. Of course, Hera is onto their little tryst, able to catch on pretty easily and attempts to catch him in the act (sighs) shocker i know (laughs) but somehow zeus knows that hera is on route it's good to be the king of the gods you just have (laughs) access to this information sure and while hera is on the way to catch him he comes up with the great idea to turn his lover io into a white heifer however hera is not So Hera says to Zeus, what a beautiful heifer. This is just the best heifer I ever laid my eyes on. I would really appreciate it. I would love it. It would mean the world to me if I could have this heifer. 
And what can Zeus say, of course, but surely Hera? I mean, he could say no. Well, I mean, but he doesn't. <laughs> Hera takes cow Io, heifer Io, hmm. and puts her under the guard of a hundred-eyed giant so that no matter what, Zeus can't visit her and Io will be trapped within this gaze of a giant and unable to escape. I mean, this is a much stronger showing from Hera than the crab. She's ready to develop some real multi-level plans here. Zeus, though, I, I guess he feels bad, or he just really, really has a thing for Io. He sends Hermes, who is the messenger god, of course, to free Io. I just, if I was Hermes, I would be like, um, Zeus, like, I don't really want to get in between this thing with you and your wife. Like, have you met your wife? So, uh, no thank you, but... Well, Hermes is a great, respectful kid. And when Zeus tells him to do something, he does it. Mm. And he goes to lull the giant to sleep, and then kills him. Hasta la vista, Argos. Io is set free, although... Yes, she is still a heifer. Mm -hmm. And she goes galloping off. But again, Hera won't be thwarted in punishing Io. This is like not just a message to this princess or this mortal. This punishment is a message to Zeus. Mm. So she sends a gadfly to follow Io around even after she's escaped. And this gadfly will sting her repeatedly over and over and over so that she may never be able to rest. This is a truly devious plan, and I just I just wish that Hera could use her powers to punish Zeus. Like, I just, ugh. Yeah, if Hera was able to channel this rage and anger and plotting against Zeus, ultimately, however, Io gets to Egypt, and there Zeus is able to change her back into a human. But, like, it's not clear why he couldn't do it before. Like, is there, like, like, what's happening in Egypt? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's really unclear where Hera's mm. powers end and why mm. she couldn't tell once Io got to Egypt. However, when Io does turn back into a human, she gives birth to two of Zeus's children, who are Ephaphus and Curiosa. How would you pronounce that? Caroessa? So yes, Isle gives birth to Epaphis and Caroessa, and eventually she does marry the king of Egypt and goes on to have lots and lots of kids. Aside from Cepheus, she's also said to be an ancestor of Hercules and Semele. Smelly! <laughs> Smelly! <laughs> yes, of course, Semele! As well as, weirdly, she's also a distant relative of Perseus. Oh, who we'll talk about um, after or sometime after Andromeda. But yeah, the family trees in like Greek myth are a little yikesies. Very yikesies, I'd say. <laughs> That's the myth of Io and distantly, generations later, of Cepheus. <sighs> it's a little exhausting to have these persistent myths of Kara punishing a mortal for Zeus's behavior. Definitely. And it reinforces this idea that powerful people aren't held accountable for their actions. And of course, that jealousy and vengeance are normal ways that the afflicted should deal with that betrayal. 
it's really not the best lesson. And you really have to wonder about what function this type of story repeatedly, right? Like over and over and over again, had on relationships in the Greco-Roman world. Of course, you know, marriage functioned really differently in the past. It wasn't really about romantic love. So it, it also then just still makes it even stranger to me to have these myths because still this like jealous, not with my husband, you don't, but then also like, marriage isn't so much about romantic involvement so it's like makes it even more confusing but there's another way of looking at it and perhaps maybe it has less so to do with like their specific relationship as husband and wife and maybe it has more to do about distinguishing or making a barrier or creating a divide between the behavior of god versus the behavior of mortals and these stories just go to reinforce the point that gods can do whatever they want to mortals. Mortals aren't, you know, worthy of the god's attention or that there's consequences from having the hubris, right, to think that you're worthy of that kind of association. The other thing that was interesting in this myth is this idea of like transformation and change. And it's interesting in this story relative to other stories we've talked about where um, instead of Zeus as animal, we actually see Io transformed into an animal instead. We've seen Zeus become an eagle. We've seen Zeus mm -hmm. become a bull. But in this case, he's the one doing the transforming of his lover rather than him adopting another form. And we have to think that maybe these myths originally formed on some level to help understand the relationship between humans and animals. Yeah, very often we see, not in this case, of course, but in other transformation myths, especially in Greek myths, they're often used as a way to explain like the origin of a flower or an animal or a, um, you know, natural phenomenon. And so that's another area where like you could see that connection between people trying to understand where do these things come from? How do they come into the world? And there's another theme of this myth too, which we haven't seen as much over the course of this podcast, but it's this idea of travel hmm. and going to new cultures and visiting new places and the power that that can have. We have this arc of Isle wandering and wandering and wandering after escaping the giant Argos before ultimately making it to Egypt. So this myth could also be a way of introducing listeners of the oral stories to new and faraway land. Mm -hmm. It's a way to connect it with people who will never get to go to Egypt. Yeah, right? This princess of Argos becomes a queen of Egypt. So obviously this myth, like a lot of Zeus Hera myths, could use a little bit of updating. Mm. So let's take a quick break, and then let's get into our wreck constellations. Welcome back to our segment called Ret Constellation. In this segment, we reimagine, reboot, and revise the myths of our monthly constellation in hopes to modernize, subvert, or somehow deepen the story of this constellation. Or sometimes our job is to just take the myth and hopefully make it a little less cringy. This one had some real cringe. There's been a lot of cringe so far this season, but when there, there is cringe, there is need for retconstellations. So do you wanna kick us off with your retcon? So the two subjects together we have in this month's constellation 
mainly, of course, it starts with Cepheus. Mm. And we're getting into his great-great-great-grandmother, Io, as well, correct? Mm-hmm. So in my reconciliation, Io and Cepheus are living together at the same time. <laughs> Great. Cepheus, as you said, doesn't have very main character energy. <laughs> True. But in my reconciliation, Io is maybe 90 or 100. Wow. And Cepheus is a young child. Mm. In my head, this might be sort of like a Carl and Russell situation from Up. Oh. <laughs> or it could also be if Cepheus is a little older. I also mm. imagined like a Lucille Bluth and Buster Bluth mm-hmm. type of relationship <laughs> oh where gosh. Cepheus is kind of helpless, clueless, given mm. all the descriptions we have in the original myth. Mm. He's not much to write home about. So I want to cast him as sort of like a duncy child role. Mm. And the story I want to tell involves Io and Cepheus and Hera joining forces. Mm. I want Zeus to be, of course, the one who puts the moves on Io. Io's like, not interested. Cepheus spies, sees this whole interaction take place, makes a prayer or Mm. makes an offering to Hera. And says, hey, hey, I think your husband's trying to cheat with with my great-grandma. I don't know what's going on here. Hera comes down, consults with Io, and they decide, of course, working together, Io and Hera, to come with a plan to entrap Mm. Zeus. So there's lots of ways that can play out. Mm -hmm. But the main focus of my reconciliation is... Hera and Io teaming up, Zeus being punished, and Cepheus being the reason why (laughs) Zeus is thrown in the doghouse. So that was my reconstellation. Cepheus, again, doesn't have main character energy, Mm. but he can be in the right place and the right time. So that's my (laughs) reconstellation of this myth, trying to tie in Io, Cepheus, and all the above. Yeah. How about yours? Where'd you go with this one? So um, I stayed in Io land and, um, you know, this is another myth about Zeus and Hera just being the worst. And yeah, so I think like when we talked about Corona Australis, I kind of had Hera and Semele working together to give Zeus. Excuse me, excuse me. Did you say Smelly? (laughs) Yes, Smelly. Hera and Smelly teaming up um, to get after Zeus. And so I wanted to really like push myself to think about what are some other ways we could like retcon this myth. I just completely ignored Cepheus though. So props to you for getting him in there. So I really wanted to transform this myth, like I said, into something else. So in my version of the myth, Zeus and Hera seek out couples counseling at long last to really decide whether this marriage is working for them. Their therapist is Dr. Io. And in my version of the myth, Dr. Io is a world-renowned couples therapist who is so famous, she doesn't even need a last name. Kit, I'm already astounded by your creativity here. (laughs) This is wonderful. Yes, okay, so Dr. Io, one name basis. This is Mm -hmm. like Beyonce. This is like Madonna. This is like the LeBron of couples therapists. Exactly. So they go in, and Dr. Io is... 
you know, very straightforward, uh, mm. the ultimate professional, but just going to be honest with you. And Dr. Io says this relationship is highly dysfunctional. Extremely dysfunctional. But Hera and Zeus were like, all right, okay, we understand. We know we really want to try to be better. We have a kingdom, a, a world to rule. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Io says, okay, uh, Dr. Io, excuse me. The title is important. Um, Dr. Io gives them a test. She tells them it will be their responsibility to look after a cow together. It's sort of like the fake baby that you might have gotten in sex ed, but a cow. Why a cow? Uh, I don't know. The cows are cute. And as uh, you'll learn about in our creature corner asterism, um, they're very smart and very They're simple. basically humans. They're yeah, they're 80% human. And 80% human. <laughs> if you want to understand uh, what we're cackling about, you will have to listen to the asterism. That's coming out uh, later. So it's a cow. And the cow is adorable. And both Hera and Zeus are like, oh, this cow is so cute. It's so cute. And they're like, we will love you. We will take care of you better than we've taken care of any of our children. Just to prove how good we are as a couple. Mm -hmm. Of course, this does not go to plan. So one thing leads to another. Something happens. And somehow the cow is killed. And they're devastated, of course, and they're processing this loss with Dr. Io. And they realize, oh my gosh, our relationship is truly so toxic that we have killed this beautiful creature. And they decide to, at long last, dissolve their union. Dr. Io is praised throughout the world for Mm -hmm. ending the terror that Hera has sort of inflicted on unsuspecting mortal women because of Zeus's behavior. And now Zeus is free to um, do, you know, to, to put himself out there, get on the dating apps. Hera can move on with her life, maybe have a, a partner that, you know, will be loyal to her. And then, of course, the beloved Dr. Io goes on to have her own kids. One of them is Cepheus. And that's how it's all connected. The idea of Zeus and Hera going to counseling is truly <laughs> radical. And I think it represents a ret constellation in the best possible way. Uh, and I do like the way that you tied the heifer element mm-hmm. back into it with yep, the yep. taking care of a cow. Um, am I surprised that somehow they killed the cow? No. <laughs> am I glad that this cow finally led them to break up and realize that this relationship isn't working? Yes. <laughs> I Would I rather have one cow sacrifice for all of humanity? Apparently. I like this wreck constellation a lot because Zeus and Hera don't ever talk about their problems. They don't ever try to mm. negotiate them. All they do is act heinously towards mortal Mm -hmm. humans as proxy battles Mm -hmm. over and over and over again it's us humans who bear the responsibility for their misdeeds so in this story we have someone who's willing to reconcile and be a peacemaker and a a doctor as well um, in order to help these two immortal forces realize hey you both can do better Mm-hmm. You're not getting what you want here. Mm-hmm. And I think that person's 
I think rightfully should be considered a hero as well. So yeah, I, I'd give five stars out of five to Dr. Isle. Oh no, whatever system they use to like rate your doctors. <laughs> I don't know what they do. I'm sure it exists. I don't know what it is. Yeah, the gods have their own app. So now it's time for our segment, AI Oracle, where we asked AI, in this case, ChatGPT, to retcon the myth that we were talking about. Yeah, we've had mixed experience so far this season with our Oracle. The first time we did it, it was a huge success. Both of us were like, wow, this is better than anything we came mm -hmm. up with. However, last month we used the Oracle slash ChatGPT to reconcile our myth and it was a chaotic mess. And guess what, Kit? Spoilers for you. The human mind is still in business. Our reconciliations are still valid. Because this month is another huge mess, too. All right, great. Can't wait. Uh, so what was the prompt that we gave the Oracle? And do you want to give us the Oracle's, uh, the Oracle's response? We asked the Oracle what the myth of Io and Zeus was. And then we asked it to write a one-paragraph retelling of this myth that would be more modern and less problematic. So here's what we get. Io, our main character, is a talented and ambitious young woman who catches the attention of Zack, not Zeus, a successful and charming entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Quickly, they fall in love, but faced with the dilemma due to the disapproval of Zack slash Zeus' overbearing possessive ex-partner, who we'll call Heather, a.k.a. Hera, but in the 80s, to protect the relationship from Heather slash Hera's interference, Zack slash Zeus and Io decide to keep their love hidden referring to each other by code names. Eventually, Heather slash Hera gets suspicious and enlists a private investigator named Harry to keep tabs on Zack. Determined to be together, Zack and Io devise a plan. With the help of their tech-savvy friend, Max, they use advanced holographic technology to create disguises and avatars that allow them to move freely in public without arousing suspicion. And despite... Heather slash Hera's relentless pursuit, Zack slash Zeus and Io manage to smarter and find happiness together, building a life filled with love and also success. <sighs> the Oracle. <laughs> so, bad. <laughs> so bad. And you even like, you know, it doesn't have the, you know, slashes in there. That was just for clarity purposes. But the Oracle, you know, also likes to offer um, an analysis of the myth uh, without prompting. And so this was the Oracle's analysis for us, which was that in this modern retelling, the focus is on the power dynamics between individuals in a romantic relationship rather than the problematic elements of infidelity, jealousy and vengeance. The story emphasizes the character's agency, resilience, and cleverness in navigating obstacles while maintaining a more positive and empowering tone. Great analysis of a myth it did not just tell. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> of a myth that it did not create, yes. Uh, yes, uh, no, that would, I feel like maybe that would, that analysis might apply to one of our retellings. <laughs> But yes, given Zach and Heather and Io, why I'm not does it sure. why does it change Zach Hera, but not Io? <laughs> well, Io is just one of those names you see in Saved by the Bell. All right. You see in Friends, Seinfeld, Cheers, any popular sitcom has this Io character, right? right? Yeah. Well, I'll say this: ChatGPT 
You did some things that we didn't do. <laughs> True. You updated the names of the characters. Some, <laughs> some of them. Of them. <laughs> you used holographic technology to create disguises and avatars, which uh -huh. we did not bring into the picture. No. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that you focus on the power dynamics between individuals in a romantic relationship rather than problematic elements of infidelity, jealousy, and vengeance. But that is a great goal, ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad, you know, that's something you were striving for. When we create our reconciliations, we don't always succeed. Mm -hmm. But this time, Kit, I do like ours better. Yeah, I also am I'm noticing a trend that when we ask the AI Oracle to make something modern, it's just like tech savvy internet. And it's, um, you know, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what it comes up with next time. Kit, that brings us to the end of our episode this week. Please join us next week for the pop culture of our segment, Cepheus. This has been Kit. And Jordan. Sisters, lovers of stars and stories. And we'll see you next time. On Story Time. <laughs>